0: Turn with me, if you will, please, to Luke chapter 2. We'll be in verses 1 through 24. Three main movements that we want to cover this morning in our text here. If you could put up that slide and give them the outline, that would be good. It's the, the, the decree, the shepherds, and the presentation of the Messiah. The timing of God, the witness of God, and the presentation of the Messiah to God are the three main (laughs) movements that we'd like to cover this morning as we make our way through the Gospel of Luke. The appointed time, uh, I think that's one of the most fascinating subjects in Scripture and even in our own lives, the timing of God. How and when things transpire in our lives, in this case, we have... uh, In the verses 1 through 7, something happening in the government, and how God supernaturally moves through natural means so often. We're looking for the dramatic sometimes, the the awe and wonder, things that cause us to drop our jaws and gape. But sometimes, the way the Lord moves, and quite often, and most generally, really, is It's naturally supernatural. God is at work through the natural course of things. And in this case, we see that Caesar Augustus uh, is causing a census to be taken. And we'll pick this up in verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place when Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, every one to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Now I know this might feel like Christmas morning to you in reading that passage, (coughs) Uh, which by the way, this year you know that um, Christmas is on a Sunday morning, so uh, we're going to do something a little bit different in In that regard, so just giving you a heads up, but uh, it's Christmas every day for us in reality, the gifts of God, the blessings of God, Messiah is here and this is just the the perfect time in israel 's history. God had been silent for four hundred years, and then we as we 've covered in the previous chapter, uh, he brings on the scene uh, a cousin, a near relative of Jesus in the flesh. Uh, John the Baptist performed his ministry. God is no longer silent. He is speaking. Yahweh is on the move. And in this case, we're seeing uh, the birth of Christ. And I, as I started out here, the timing of God is such an amazing thing he, because he has a plan. And I know there are those of, uh, that are critical of God in this way. Like, you know, if, if, if God's really there, where's he at and what is he doing? His hand, I do not see his hand. I do not understand why we're living in this fallen world as we are. And there's lots of questions because of the pain and the suffering that people endure. But he has a plan, Galatians 4.4. 4, when the fullness of time, and the word time there is chronos, if you pull up that verse, Galatians four. 4 but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, Born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. That's the plan. God wanted to redeem fallen mankind. He's never taken his eyes off the, the issue at hand. From the very beginning, it was all about Yahweh and His family. Christ coming in the Old Testament was veiled. People did not understand the role of the Messiah. There were very few that understood that the Messiah would suffer and die. The Essenes, a religious group and sect of the time, they got it. They seemed to, from their writings and from uh, what we read about them, uh, they seemed to understand that Messiah would die. The Pharisees and others who were blind uh, because of their greed and and lack of real spirituality uh, did not understand nor did they grasp what God was doing. If the first coming was veiled, how much more is the second coming of Christ going to be veiled? And we can sort of get caught up in this prophetic thing, you know, like especially what's going on in the world today. Are we, are we in the book of Revelation? What chapter are we in? Which, 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 which no, wait, you know. Go ahead, chase your tail. <laughs> You're not going to be able to figure it out what is the main thing about the second coming that Jesus told us about? And this, we should not take our eyes off this. Be ready. Be watching. Be praying. Have oil in your lamp. Go about the Lord's business. He'll take care of that if we take care of what we're supposed to take care of. But, I love this subject, you know, First uh, Thessalonians 5 1, but concerning the times and se- seasons. These are two important words when it comes to God's work and God's timing. Uh, Acts 1 7, um, Jesus said to the disciples who were so anxious, Are you going to come? Now that you died on the cross and you've risen from the dead, are you going to accept the kingdom now? Are oh, they just like little kids, you know? <laughs> Please, right now? <laughs> I just love the way. He's such a fatherly figure to us. He just is not for you to know the times and the seasons. Kronos and karos. The times and seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Times or kronos is I me- measured duration. And in this case, for us in our time, it's the end times. It's measured. It's already planned. He's not going to change his mind. Oh, well, that happened. I better I better slide this back a little bit. Oh, oh, I need to move it up a little bit. No, there's none of that. It's already purposed and planned, and that's a wonderful thought for you and me. And Carlos, the definite or suitable time, which um, carries the idea, really, of a, an occasion. And I like uh, what I picked up from... My Bible dictionary, times and seasons, uh, these are two really important words when it comes to God's work, but they're different from each other. Uh, One refers to clocks and calendars, the chronos, and the other seasons or occasions refers to psychological moments. um, The idea that when it's ripe, perfect, and so is the case here. It was the right time for Jesus to be born. Not one day sooner, not one day later, it was the precise, precision timing of God. And as I said, he, God often uses natural occasions to transpire. That we're just, these things can go on so uh, sort of undetected to the natural man. But he does make himself, things known to those who are paying attention, those who are seeking God, those who want to know uh, he reveals his secrets to. And I think that should be encouraging for each one of us. And I, you know, I think they're just God has just this uncanny way of of, of fulfilling His word, and He's just his, his ways are so mysterious; they're just they're just nearly impossible for us to get a grip on. You know, you can go out and look at the stars and the galaxies and be in awe and wonder, or you can, you know, watch one of your nature shows and when they go to the sea and all those amazing creatures that are in the sea. And those are, show the greatness of God, the genius of his creativity. But in some ways, they're sort of impersonal. But what really is personal, when you think about how involved God is in your life and in our lives, and, and a lot of times, it's almost undetected. We don't even perceive that God is really at work within us. We should consider that, though. You think God is involved in everything in your life from conception until you leave this planet. He's got your hand on every. He has his hand on every one of us in every facet of our lives. And I think that should strike us with awe and wonder as much as the stars and the sea creatures that he's made. He is sovereignly in control and he's ruling everything. He... Think about this. We talked about this yesterday. Actually, it came up in the men's study that he uh, has established the times and locations, our birth, and the boundaries of our dwelling was all orchest- has all been orchestrated by him. And one of the thoughts that came on, and I think it's quite true, as I'll verify it through Scripture here in a moment, is that regardless of what we may think, like this individual we witnessed on the... Uh, video this morning it is believed that God is so in control he places every person in history at the right time in the right location that would be the best for them to come to know him he's orchestrated all the events and circumstances in their life to bring about the most optimal point in time where they could receive grace and repent and become part of his kingdom I believe that that's how God operates because He's a loving God. He's a kind God. If anyone will come in brokenness and repentance in that time, they'll be reconciled to Him and God will reveal Himself to them. In Acts 17, verse 24, would seem to confirm this logical thinking to us. God who made the world and everything in it, since He is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temple made with hands. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell upon the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. That should strike awe and wonder in the hearts of every one of us. He sovereignly rules over each one of us and each one of our circumstances. The timing of God. It's at work, even in our day. In verses 8 through 20, we have hear the witness of God. You know, God has a message to hear. And as, as this applies to us, if God placed you and I at this point in time in history, and even this day that you're attending this church, or you're part of this church, you're here by the divine providence of God. He has a message for you to hear, and a message for you to deliver. The shepherds were God's chosen ones here. And I'm of the opinion that these weren't just any shepherds. They were near Jerusalem. And shepherds were not exactly uh, people that uh, were generally thought well of or uh, fond of. You're you're raising these smelly, stinky sheep. It's kind of like if you were living next to a, a, a chicken farm. Or if you were a pig operation, a hog operation, you know, there's certain things that, that are not pleasant <laughs> if you live in that area. And I'm not saying that this was a, a gross area, but it would have that issue if you had them penned up and all. But these shepherds were allowed to be in that area because I think they were producing, as it were, and raising sheep for the temple. So, what better witness would it be than for God to send angels from heaven and deliver to them this glorious privilege of going to see the Messiah? You guys are raising lambs for the temple, for the sacrifice. Well, by the way, let me show you the real one. And he's not a sheep in that sense, he's a man, he's my son. And so we'll pick this up in verse 8. Now, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were greatly afraid. And then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people for un- For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And so it was that when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another let's now go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things which they had heard and seen as it was told them. The testimony of the shepherds, they were simply doing their job, keeping watch over their flock by night, raising lambs for the temple worship, quite possibly. And I think this is an important point to to notice here is that it's really in the course of our life, just doing our job, doing what we have been called to individually, that God meets us, and we have these incredible experiences that can take place. Just I just, again, God is so involved within our lives, and following the natural course of human events, He just interrupts us sometimes with spiritual encounters. We meet the Lord, we see the Lord, we experience His presence. Or his work in such incredible ways were just in awe and wonder. And oftentimes these happen because he wants them to be life-changing events. They're pivotal points, turning points, as it were, in our lives. No doubt, I don't think these guys were ever quite the same. I mean, I don't know what you think about the supernatural. I think there's a an issue in the Western culture about the supernatural, we're a very materialistic culture, scientific and all and we sort of, generally speaking our culture looks down upon the supernatural it's cuckoo stuff you know they sort of look at you with like, and roll their eyes thinking you know get a grip on reality, you know so, I have to ask the simple questions here. Do you believe in the ministry of angels? You know, Hebrews tells us that we have to be careful that we might entertain angels in unawares. You know, how are you treating that stranger? And uh, if you treat a stranger badly, what if he reports back to heaven and say, Yeah, that guy was really rude, Lord? You don't want that report, <laughs> right? So, we're supposed to be kind to everyone regardless, right? But how many people even in this church, in this city, have a supernatural world view? It's really easy to, to, to not have that because of we're surrounded by this technology. We have science. All of the science. Okay. Look where that's gotten us, you know. But I digress, yes. These guys were simply doing their job and God thought it necessary to deliver them a message that not only did they need to hear but the people around them needed to hear. They left the, the place after seeing Jesus as a babe glorifying and praising God. When you have a message from heaven and that message is burning in your heart, you can't help but share it. Jeremiah is a good example of that even though he was ministering in her, very difficult circumstances. And he was tired of being persecuted, frankly. Tired of being mocked, made fun of him. You know, the dungeon life wasn't exactly fun, being stuck in the mud, literally. I had to lift him out, if you know the story. I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. I've had it. Just get somebody else to do this, Lord. I'm tired of being the whipping boy here, you know. And what does it say? is the word was burning in his heart. He could not forbear. He couldn't handle it anymore. I've got to speak. And when you have an encounter with God and the word of God is truly in your inner man, you're going to speak it. And would to God he'd light a fire in all our hearts, an eternal flame that would grow brighter and brighter as the days progress. Notice the glory of God shone around these angels. They brought the presence of God to these shepherds at night. Do you realize when you have a message from God, you are bringing the glory of God? It's going to shine through your life as it should. And in that message, people will listen because, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is not just ordinary speech. These are just not an ordinary, this is just not some, you know, water, you know, the waterhole talk, right? This is, this is a message from heaven. It's something I should hear. And it can come in subtle ways. Different ways. Maybe a, in a shoebox way. Yeah, God has his ways of shouting into our hearts, into the hearts of people who have need. But if we would have an encounter of the supernatural, our natural reaction is going to be fear. There's something about living in this fallenness that we are captured in so to speak that when we encounter holiness it freaks us out whoa you get around and I've been around pastors that were really powerful in the Lord in my younger years especially and I'm like wow there's whoo that guy's close to Jesus man (laughs) I mean and and it was a humility there was nothing you know about them they were just being who they are it, but it just came out, and I'm like, wow. It's like conviction you know, to appear around like a person like that. But I mean, can you imagine? They bring the glory of God with them. They were greatly afraid. we intimidated by it. We're intimidated by the holiness of God. But you know, and this is why I think a lot of us who love the Lord and and are afraid to show it become persecuted, because people don't know how to re- Fallen men do not know how to respond to that. It's it's weird. It's abnormal. It's not. You're not one of the guys. They think it. As Peter puts it, they think it's strange that you don't run with them, and you'll stand up against it, and 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 you live a moral life. And so. It, it it creates an insecurity. That's what fear is. And notice we seems to be one of the things the Lord is conveying. Uh, why is it that we are fearful people? Because we like control. And when something that's out of the ordinary and that we're not used to, that's out of our control and it creates that security, well, our natural reaction is we want to control that. We want to deal with that because we don't like uncom- being uncomfortable. You have to come to the point as a believer where You don't have any control over anything, really. We just like perceived control, right? We don't really have control over much, except our own will. And there's a lot of things that are important to us that we like to control and protect. But we have to learn the lesson, and we learn this as we mature, as we grow in our faith, that we just have to trust God. Paul put it this way to second, in 2 Timothy 1.12 to, to Timothy. Now, Paul's about ready to have his head removed from his body. And so you, you think about the last words that people have and what really is important. This is one of them here in his last letter, 2 Timothy 1.12. For this reason I suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know in whom I have believed and am persuaded that he's able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. There's a couple things that are important in this verse. It's not what he believed. Well, I believe in Jesus. I, I got my doctrine right. I, I know, I know, Pastor. That's not what's gonna deal with, take away your fear. That's not what's gonna create security in your heart. Notice what he says here I know in whom. It's a personal relationship with Jesus. I know God. This is one of the test points when we all stand before God. Come on in, son, I know you. Depart from me, I never knew you. It's all about the personal relationship and being able to commit those things that are important to us to God's safekeeping. That's the thing. Uh, Keep what I have committed. And that takes a, a mental purposeful act of our will on our part to bring it to God say Lord this is yours I can't handle it I don't need to control it I'm trusting you f- for it you know God's a pretty good watchdog yeah he can take care of a lot of things have you noticed that he's pretty good about taking care of things and and um, holding things together like the whole planet and the whole universe you know Colossians is a good book to remind us about that By his word, the Lord Jesus, him, the word, he holds everything together. That's why I just find that really quite fascinating. You know, Peter says the elements will melt with a fervent heat. So if you put those two together, what's going to happen in the end when it's time for the Lord to remodel this place, this planet, and lift the curse, and there's a new heaven and a new earth? He's just going to let go. The natural thing of atoms being held together like it's sort of weird, positive and negative. It's like, wait, how how does that work? That's why we split them and boom, you know. And he's just going to go, I'm done. What an explosion that's going to be, right? He's powerful. You think if he can hold the universe together, he can hold your life together and the things that are important to you? I think so. I think you think so too. But in this message, there's three things that are important to us, I think. they These angels delivered a message that would change the world forever. That's how important that message was. And it was important for the shepherds to get that out. We have a message that needs to get out, a message that you've received and has changed your life. It's a message that everybody else needs to hear so that it'll change their lives. One of them, the first point in that being faithful to that message is getting over your fear. Fear not. Don't be intimidated by things of God. Do not run away from them. Do not be insecure about it at all. God is loving and kind and his plan is powerful and it's good. That's what he says. That's point number two. Look, I've got good news for you, fellas. I know you've got to deal with these dirty, stinky sheep on occasion and you've got to make them presentable to the temple, but... I've got some really good news for you. And it's not just for you. Number three, it's for everyone. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of what God has for you. What he has for you to hear and to receive. The second one is that it's good news. How many times... I wonder if sometimes this is why people don't really want to go to church. Because, well, you know, it's just going to be bad news. We're going to hear some politics, you know, about how bad it is in the world. Well, you might hear a little bit of that, but you don't need to be reminded of that because you already know that's a problem. You need to hear the word. And sometimes we do need to say some things that are not pleasant. But generally speaking, God has good news for each one of us. I mean, I think that's a a lot of times people don't want to pray. the, The thought of God coming into your mind, like, well, I have thought some bad things here, man. And so, like, God's mad at me. God's angry with me. He's actually really disappointed in me. And I think that's the natural man in his thought process that couldn't be more further from the truth. God is for us. He's not against us. We've got to have a paradigm shift within our minds when it comes to our approach to God, and not be afraid and intimidated about our approach to Him, Romans 8:31 through 35 should convince of this fact. And it might be good for us to memorize this. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not, with Him? also freely give us all things who shall bring a charge against god's elect it's god who justifies who's he who condemns it is christ who died and furthermore is risen who is even at the right hand of god and he even makes intercession for us who shall separate us from the love of christ shall tribulation or distress, persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. No. God is for you. God is on your side. He loves you. You're his child. That's good news. That's not bad news. Hallelujah. It was a message of peace, a message of blessing, and that's the same message that God has for you. Maybe you're carrying a load. Maybe you're you haven't really rolled things over in the idea of committing it to the Lord. And you need to do that. And if you do that, you will experience peace. You'll experience a blessing from Him. The purpose of His coming is so important. He wanted to reconcile us back to God. Ephesians 2.16, that he might reconcile both to God and one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. We're no longer at odds with God. The wall of separation has been destroyed by the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Do you understand the power of his sacrifice? That blood completely washes us from our sins. There's no way anyone in this room or hearing by way of the internet should feel any condemnation if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ the power of the blood to remove the guilt and we've all committed sin and we all need forgiveness and it's there and we should have that continual approach to God knowing that he's no longer holding us accountable for our sins we're we're forgiven how powerful that is that's what Ephesians 2.14 says. For he himself, personal. He himself is our peace. He made us one both and has broken down the middle wall of separation. That's why Jesus came. That's why he was born. This a Savior, the Messiah. Lastly, verses 21 through 24, the presentation of the Messiah to God. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus. The name was given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as is written in the law, Every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons indicating that Joseph and Mary were poor economically speaking in their social status, they were poor, the least of the offerings the but the important thing here is presenting. Jesus has a baby back to the Father. He is set apart in circumcision, and this is what it's about. This was fulfilling of the Abrahamic covenant given in chapter 17 of Genesis. This would be the sign of the covenant. What is circumcision? It's probably what would be equivalent to baptism in the New Testament, in the sense that it is an outward expression of an inward reality, of taking the heart that is naturally stony and hard and Impenetrable because of sin, unable to grasp the love and grace of God. But when it's given to God and it's cut off, in a sense, in a heart of flesh, then there's a sensitivity and an openness and an awareness of God's presence. So is the removal of the foreskin, as we read here. In in chapter 17 of genesis it's always good to have a good working knowledge of the scriptures That's why i take the time and i'm deliberate in pointing out these scriptures it's not my opinion this, this is how we arrive at our understanding by comparing scripture with scripture genesis 17:9 and 13 and god said to Abraham, as for you you shall keep my covenant you and your descendants after you through their generations and this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male child in your generations. He who is born in your house or bought with money from a foreigner who is not your descendant. He was born in your house. And he was brought up with your money, must be circumcised. My covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. That's pretty serious stuff right there. Remember Moses, even Moses, on his way out of. <clears throat> No, where was he staying in Egypt? Um, Midian. On his way out of Midian back to Egypt to deliver the children of Israel, had failed to observe this command in his two sons. Probably had a little static, if you will, from his wife, Zipporah. And she understood exactly what the angel of the Lord was going to do to him because he hadn't done this. So she circumcised the boys on the spot. And she wasn't real happy about it. But Moses was because he still lived. <laughs> but here's, that's the point. God takes this covenant serious. God takes our cutting away of the flesh, of the stony heart, and receiving a heart of flesh. Very important. And Jesus was no exception. He followed all, all the ordinances. He was baptized Now, uh, later on. by following the ordinances that the Father, through Moses and others, had established, And then we see here, as we've read there in verses 22 uh, through 24, his consecration. And this is where we want to end this morning. Taking all the things that we've considered, the timing of God, the witnesses that he's called us to be, it all comes down to this. Christ himself was consecrated. He was given over and dedicated, as it were, to the Lord. In fact, we're going to have a couple, well, at least one dedication uh, at the end of the month here. Dedication. We don't baptize our children here at Calvary Chapel, we dedicate them. And in reality, not only are we dedicating the infant, the, the small child, to the Lord, and, and God's able to keep what's dedicated to him because it com- becomes his officially in our witness, but we're actually dedicating the parents. That you're making a commitment to raise your child, that which you're dedicating to him in his ways. You're teaching and instructing them. There's a real promise to God he gave to Abraham. Continual revelation of his plans and purposes. Shall I reveal to Abraham the things that I'm doing? Because I know he's going to teach his children. See, if you want God to show you things, it's because you're teaching your children. And this is part of the consecration as parents that we are to consecrate our children and instruct them and teach them in the ways of the Lord. Jesus himself was set apart to do the will of God. That's why he came. In the volume of the book, it was written of him. He had this confession, a good confession before Pilate, we're told. John 18, 37, asked him, Are you a king then? And Jesus answered, You rightly say that I am a king. And for this cause, I was born. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who hears, is of the truth, hears my voice. Powerful. For this cause, I was born incarnation. For this cause, I came into the world. He's of divine origin. He's not just a man. He is God come in the flesh. To bear witness, he had a mission from heaven to tell us the truth about our our situation here. He was set apart to do God's will. He was set apart for the revealing of God's word. All the prophecies of his birth, his life, his ministry, suffering, his death, it's all right there in the Old Testament for us. John referred to him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And Jesus set himself apart for this very purpose. What's amazing, when you read in Isaiah 53, 10, that it pleased the Lord to bruise him. That's a hard pillow to swallow. It put him to grief. It wasn't that he wanted to see his son tortured, that he took joy in that. But his sacrifice and what it would provide. When you made his soul an offering for sin, his he shall see his seed and prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. The result, and this is how Jesus looked at it, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. He is our example. What God may give you as a message and the purpose he may have for your life may cause you to suffer. You may experience pain by being obedient to Christ, but who for the joy set before him, the outcome and the fruit. Is what God takes pleasure in. Just think about this for a moment. Do you realize it's impossible for God to fail? He can never fail. Love never fails. It may look like a failure. You may look, since you're a failure, if you're walking in the love of God, you're not a failure. You never will fail. Jesus didn't fail. God so loved the world, why? That he gave his only begotten son. And giving his son, was that a failure? No. He looks like a failure to the world. He got crucified. Wow, that look, you know, that, that's real pleasant. It's because they don't understand what it provided for you and for me. He was set apart. This consecration is the is setting apart for God to use us. There are many things as we close here that bring pleasure to the Lord. Do you realize you can bring pleasure to God? Christ brought tremendous pleasure to the Father in his obedience as he imaged the Father perfectly. And what we mean by that is if you want to know what God is really like, there are people like, well, what's God really like? All you have to do is look at the person of Christ, his ministry, his life, Jesus It's talking about the Father there at the last meeting in in the upper room, you know. Hey, Hey, Jesus, just show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. And Jesus probably had almost like a dumbfounded look upon his face hearing that. It's like, are you kidding? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What does that mean? That means he imaged the Father perfectly. If you don't want to want to know, really want to know what Yahweh's like, examine the person of Christ. He's kind and he's gentle he's lowly and meek in heart. And he pleased the Lord. He brought pleasure to the Father. There are at least six ways you and I can bring pleasure and I'll close with these. When his plans come to fruition through your life. When Jesus finished his course and he, he said he cried out, it is finished. The joy and the triumph of joy that must have filled heaven. It is finished. He accomplished it. When you do the work of the Lord and you fulfill your mission, it makes God very happy. It blesses him. Another things that pleases God is the timing of important events in your life. When you obey and I obey and God sort of pulls it off, and brings pleasure to Him, Puts a smile on his face as it were. You know, and it also puts a smile on his face when he reveals his plans and purposes for you. And you go, wow, really? You want to do that? You can have those moments. God wants you to share those things with us if we'll take the time to be intimate with him. It brings pleasure when he gives us hope and peace and joy. Think about how blessed he was. The father was blessed when he saw the reaction of the shepherds and they got to see the babe to meet Mary and Joseph and to be part of God's plan And, to, and, and, and at that level. See, there's, there's levels of joy and peace that you have not yet experienced, but God wants you to experience. He takes pleasure in knowing that you're redeemed, that you're saved, that you belong to him. And he's jealous over you with a tremendous jealousy. He's really blessed and brought pleasure when you consecrate your life, when you consecrate your children. And everything that you have is really given back to him. And it's at his full disposal. And however, he wants to use you or it or them, whatever that is in your life. He is blessed to heal you, to heal your spirit. We're all broken. We've got fragmented issues in our life. And it's by his stripes that we're healed. He takes pleasure in healing us. And so as we close with this final song, as Chelsea, and them come on up and lead us in this last song and closing song. Will you just take advantage of God's presence here? Let's stand. Just take advantage. And not, not in, a, in a negative way, but in a, in a way that you're exercising faith. God is here. The presence of God is here. It's, it's for us to enjoy, yes. But it's, it's that God wants you to receive all that he has. So as we sing this final song, open your heart, pray silently in your heart, God, give me everything you have touch my life. Heal me. Strengthen me. Transform me. Wherever your need is this morning, bring it to him and let him give it to you. He loves you. Father,